Welcome to Karate in the Garage. I'm Corey Cope. I'm Freddie Waff. And we are continuing our Patreon Listener Choice Month. This is number two. And if you heard number one last week, you got to hear Empire Records chosen by our favorite record store employee. <laughs> Former, I guess, right? Shannon! Thank you, Shannon. Again, that was a, a, a fun trip down memory lane to be reminded about how rad it was to work in a small video store and small uh, record store. For I did both. And uh, they had that same sensibility of having fun and playing movies slash playing records all day long. And the customers were always like, what do you want? <laughs> what can I get for you? You're disrupting me. I'm enjoying this movie. Guys, I'm trying to have a good time here at work. <laughs> As you guys have looked at your phones already, you already know what this movie is. And this one we've talked about. We've talked about this one a lot. Yeah, we we I think we bring this up. up to, uh, it comes up in our conversations like every Christmas. Hey, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. And the reason why we're doing it this time, because eventually we would have gotten to it, but it's Listener Choice Month. Yeah. And our man Mario, <laughs> he gave us a list of nine movies to choose from. And this was like the fifth one of the, on the list. But the first one in my heart. And it was the first one that came up on the list of nine where I went, yeah, we can do that one. <laughs> Well, we had been looking for an excuse to do this anyway. Yeah. And I think there's like two or three other ones after that where we're, or we've already been talking about doing those for a while. So. Oh yeah, totally. There's a reason why we're, we're friends with Mario because same sensibilities and same taste in movies, except for those first four. <laughs> I'm kidding. Actually it's five because he put down Torque, didn't he? Yeah, dude. Dude, I just watched, uh, I didn't watch Torque, but I just watched Biker Boys the other day. Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> with a Z. With a Z. Yeah. <laughs> I may have to watch Torque on my own. What we have for you today is the long kiss goodnight from our man Shane Black, right? I know he didn't direct this, but he produced it. He had that ridiculous script sale of $4 million. We talked about we talked about these the time of, of, of crazy spec scripts, right? I almost don't want to, I almost want to feel, this doesn't feel like a very spec scripty kind of situation since he, he, he produced it. Yeah. I feel like this was a, this is not a spec script. I, you know, I feel like maybe, well, I mean, you know, I mean, it defines spec script. I guess he probably wrote it and then, you know, started a bidding war yeah. after his success of his other films. Yeah. This is after uh lethal weapon, last boy scout, last action hero. I'm saying that Shane probably was writing his own checks at that point. Literally. <laughs> and this one was probably, you know, 116 page check. Yeah. When you, and when you talk about movies that are uh, written by Shane, this one is always the last on people's lists, which always makes me laugh because people Well, it's not it. on mine because well, it's I, directed by the other man who I was huge on, Rennie Harlan, especially in the 90s, Rennie Harlan. Oh, yeah. What's funny about this movie coming when it did it came on the heels of probably what's considered one of the biggest box office disasters ever oh yeah and that actually starred the same star of this gina davis and that was cutthroat island with matthew modine and what's funny about that movie is i don't dislike it oh dude it's not as bad as it gets it's no. not as bad as people make it out to be and paint it out to be it's notorious for being a poor box office performer and it kind of, it, it permeates as to the quality of movie, which I don't think is fair. It's a big movie. It's a big, ambitious fucking movie and it just didn't work. But you know what? Tell me that that didn't make Bruckheimer go, all right, well, you know what? Why don't we do a Pirates of the Caribbean thing? Sure. 
And there's no way that was not that didn't stem from that. Right. But Rennie always made movies that he went for it, man. He rarely made a movie that that just didn't make you go, damn. And well, you know, it didn't pull it off 100%, but you did your thing, which I thought was pretty amazing. Right. And Shane Black movie, what was interesting with him producing and being the, the screenwriter for this, this has a Lethal Weapon 2 ending originally, and it was modified. There's quite a bit of Lethal Weapon uh, bits throughout, sprinkled throughout this movie. But specifically, the the ending to this movie has something that happened in Lethal Weapon 2 in the original script, and then test screenings modified that ending. I didn't know that until recently. You mean, would Danny Glover have flown out the window on the toilet? <laughs> Is that what you're telling me? They should stay. Please tell me they shot that and I can find it somewhere because I, I would so. pay money to see no. it. No. See, I don't care what it looks like, too. I don't care if it's a work print, grainy VHS. I don't I don't care. <laughs> I don't either, man. <laughs> and I don't care if it's a dummy strapped to a toilet. I got to see it. This movie is so fucking fun. This movie always makes me smile when I watch it. I mean, there's no way you watch this and not feel that you're watching a Shane Black penned movie. There's no, there's nothing about it. There's moments in there where you're going that are very Rennie Harlan that you're like, oh man, Shane would have never written that. But I thought that was really cool of what he did. And Shane just said, look, man, I'm the producer and I wrote the script, but you are the director. You do your thing. And I thought that was really cool. I have to imagine they probably got along pretty well. I feel like they're kind of kindred spirits. I I think so too. Yeah, they're they're definitely they're definitely considered bad boys at that time. <laughs> they they both had they yes, they both have a lot of similar traits. Yes. <laughs> you do your own Google searches on what those traits might be. <laughs> yeah, you guys check it out, man. Just Google that shit. You know, they they put together, I mean, at the time, a cast of people who uh, I mean, Sam Jackson wasn't he was coming off of pulp fiction, but he he hadn't become like no. the Sam Jack like now, you know, you see Sam Jackson in a movie and you're like bang, you know, it's, it's, it's a Sam Jackson movie. This is not a Sam Jackson movie. This is a, this is an ensemble movie, which is funny because Gina Davis is probably the reason this movie got greenlit because she had a string of fucking box office magic at that point. Except for that year before. <laughs> well, except for the other movie with Rennie. Absolutely. But Rennie was coming off some decent sized Hollywood hits. I think, I think Die Hard 2 made money and Oh yeah. You know, maybe Ford Fairlane made money. Oh yeah, dude, Ford Fairlane made money because it didn't cost anything. It didn't cost anything to make. So, I mean, you know, and also he directed a bunch of videos and stuff. So, but like the cast is great in this movie, man. You get Gina, you get Sam, which by the way, it's my favorite Sam Jackson performance where he's not playing Jules Winfield. Yes. But Brian Cox shows up, Craig Birko who is way is a way underrated and kind of underutilized actor, man. I, I mean, seriously, those two names right there, man, I texted you, I was watching the movie and I'm like going, dude, Bierko fucking rules, dude. And I wish Brian Cox was in everything. Right? No, I, when you said that, I knew exactly what part of the movie you had just watched when, right. you, uh, when you texted me that, because it's, it's also my, it's my favorite line of the movie. <laughs> It is, dude. In a movie that's very quotable, but I mean, like the way he delivers it and the reaction of the of the woman, I guess, who's his mother, supposed to be his mother or his yeah. wife. I'm not sure. I think it's yeah. his mother. Yeah. Because she seems like she's a little, she's, yeah. But dude, that, the look on her face is priceless and uh, Cox's delivery is magical. Thank you, Shane, for writing that because that's some funny shit. Yeah. If you can't visualize Craig Bierko. He plays Max Bear in Cinderella Man. That's yeah. that's probably the most well-known. Recognized. Yeah, that's probably his recon- most recognizable yeah. for sure. And eventually, we've talked about this, eventually we're going to get to the 13th floor. 
because yeah fuck oh yeah love that movie everybody was talking the matrix 1999 i was like going yeah 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 but <laughs> but we already saw this movie called 13th floor <laughs> i'm pointing over here i'm pointing like over a year here. ago <laughs> yeah who else was like stellar in this just everybody the girl who plays uh, uh sam's partner yes it's uh it's melina Kankaritis. there you go yeah and she's, she's great, great too oh she's so fun there's a needle drop in this and it's one of the few times that you see a needle drop in the movie where the characters actually talk about the needle drop. Yeah. Like in, in the moment. And I, and I'm not going to say what it is. Cause it's just, well, actually I will say what it is. It's a Dan seal song. <laughs> and it's so fucking great because Sam is singing the lyrics, but he's singing them wrong. And then Gina corrects him. Yeah. It's not a, it's not about linen. It's not about linen. <laughs> <laughs> and that song is so perfect because it's so it it's so screams i mean we when i were at an age when that song came out it was on the radio all the time like all the time and it was one of those many 70s songs that went is this song about fucking like, of course it is every song that comes out it's, yeah of course you listen to the easy listening station on uh coast right every single one of them are screw songs all of them afternoon delight yeah <laughs> Oh man, I'll tell you man, AM radio back in the day, man. <laughs> Funny ass yeah. shit. This movie also nails it, it it does the very the opening shot of the Christmas parade with mm. that where it's how it starts with that Elvis needle drop. Yeah. I don't know that there's ever been a better use of an Elvis song in a movie. Between the needle drops in Alan Silvestri's score. And it does and it does a great dance between the use of either one. It just it's in the sound design is gold and, it, and it's and you don't see the sound design being this meticulous in a movie from 96. There's so much thought and care put in this movie across the board. Now, I was watching it on HBO Max, and it looked really grainy, but it was in proper 235, so I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm fine with that. But then it, it gets to a point where it's super, super clean. I think that was just a dysfunction, actually a dysfunction, but it was just film, and <laughs> they had to blow it up too much, and it got super grainy at moments. But the movie is amazing. It looks gorgeous. It's shot by Guillermo Navarro, which... As we discussed before we got on mic, I hadn't, I didn't know it was him. And at this point, he was doing a handful of movies after he did Kronos with Del Toro. He did three movies with Rodriguez. And then this was the, the, the movie he did after those, the time working on those movies for him. He did an amazing job. And this movie is, at that point, the big, his, his biggest movie he had shot yet. The rest, like I said, we did Rodriguez movies and those were lower tier mini majors, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was a $65 million movie at the time. Huge movie for him. And he killed it. The wonderful compositions and the color schemes throughout the whole movie, the production design too, like when they're at the, the hotel. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about the appearance of uh, Taj Mahal. <laughs> I'm talking about the CD of hotels at the end of it. And that's Howard Cummings, man, who, you know, has done a lot of big movies and that the movie looks amazing. It's all the way around. It does. One of the things about the movie is we should, you know, kind of a little setup about the, about the movie. We didn't do a setup for Empire Records because it kind of really isn't one, except for we made the Breakfast Club comparison that, and that's all there. There's your setup. Um, with Long Kiss Goodnight, the, the setup is basically this, is that Gina Davis is this small town mother slash 
wife slash PTA involved parent <laughs> through some circumstances gets in an accident and then gets, gets, gets a little bang on her head and she finds out she isn't just, and in, she's intentionally amnesiatic. It was by design because she's some fucking assassin super spy. We eventually find out. Right. It's all her memories jogged by a horrible, a horrific car Fuck. accident. <laughs> Fuck. And that first moment too, where you realize that she's not that PTA mom. <laughs> right. When she gets out of the car, she so picks herself up out of the snow and goes and does what she does. Dude. And is that, man, is that, is that a puppet? Is that a, you know. Oh, you mean laying in the prosthetic? snow? Yeah. Yo, yeah. It's animatronic. Has to be. Dude. It's so It's cute. good though. It's so well done. After what happened last week with that fucking deer <laughs> flying in that school bus. Yeah, right. Oh my God. When I saw this, I forgot I forgot what triggered the, the accident. Timing right? is everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's funny because I, I, you know, I've seen this a bazillion times and I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. And it, it, it's still, man, the way it's shot and the sound design of that moment. Yeah. It shocks the shit out of me every fucking time. Something that I've been doing a lot lately in just, because my involvement with getting Joey kind of on a pathway to figuring out what he wants to do for his career. And we spend a lot of time watching, you know, watching movies and wearing headphones, listening to sound design for very like key moments for quiet moments, for things that, you know, some with some great, some of the best sound design is not having any sound at all. That moment just before the deer goes through the windshield, there's no sound split second. There's like nothing. And I thought, wait, was that just me? Did I just hear that wrong? And I threw my headphones and listened to it. I'm like, fuck, that's so good. Again, like I said before, the, the, such meticulous care put into this where you just have a breath of no sound and then chaos. And that, then it's, oh my gosh, it's so well shot. Uh, what's the cat's name playing the, the drunk in her passenger seat? I never remember that dude's name. He's a character actor who's been in so many things. I'm blanking on his name now. That whole incident right there is just so wild. And like I said, she gets up and does something that is out of character from what we see in the first 10 minutes of the movie. We're like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. It's crazy because you don't think it's going there. No. He's being creepy and she's like, stop it. <laughs> like, you know, and then literally there's an explosion of sound, man. And yeah. Then and I love the fact that he just, she doesn't try to get back in the car. He just burns up, man. Yeah. Spoiler. Sorry. Sorry. And then when she gets up to go look at the animal, you think because of what we've already seen that she's going over to check on it because she's that type of personality. Like, oh no, the poor thing. No, she's going over there to grab its antlers and snap its neck and put it out of its misery. You're like, whoa, what the fuck? What's up there, PTA Sam? What's going on? You're... You're a little, you're a little rough. That's where we're trying to find out that maybe Samantha isn't Samantha. They make jokes about early on that she doesn't remember her life before she ended up in the town and everything like that. Cause she, you know, bumped her head or whatever, whatever it was she was trying to sell. Right. Right. Well, Go. we'll get that whole voiceover where she's talking about, I was born seven years ago. I woke up naked on the beach, right. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's funny because it's uh, you know, it's classic noir voiceover. It's a good way to dump exposition without having to have a conversation. <laughs> right. And as you know, you know, Shane Black does that in a lot of movies, especially with Kiss Kiss. He's, he uses VO quite a bit in that. And, and in a lot of ways, it's a, a spiritual cousin to this movie, um, Kiss Kiss. The introduction to her was, was interesting. 
The introduction to Sam's character, Mitch Hennessy, was even cooler. It's cool and hilarious. It's hilarious. And I'm like, when it happens, I'm like, wait, I don't remember him being a cop. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't remember this at all. <laughs> when So when you meet Sam, he Sam's character, Mitch Hennessy, he, they bust in on this guy and his woman. Yeah, it's Rex Lynn. Yes. <laughs> Clearly, uh, he's in bed with a professional. But a professional what? Yeah, exactly. I think we both kind of struggle with saying her name. He's uh, Melina uh, kind of Caritas. Right? That's what we said her, her name is, right? Yes. We'll just, we'll just refer to her by her character name. Melina. 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 We'll just call her Trin. This movie has moments like this where you're kind of like, what the? And just people in and out of the movie like, that guy looks familiar. And this is very much a Shane Black staple as far as introducing characters. It always like here you think he's one thing or he or she is one thing. You find out soon that they are not that thing. And Sam comes in there presenting himself as a cop with these two other dudes. You think you're just, you know, other officers, other undercover officers. And as he's got his gun drawn, he's talking to the guy in bed. He's like, Hey, and he realizes it's a shakedown because detective flanking him. He looks like he's sick. Well, because he's homeless. He's a homeless dude. He's drunk. He's drunk on his ass, puking in the corner. Or he's, you know, withdrawing from heroin. I'm not sure which. (laughs) He's he's a mess. You find out before the guy in bed finds out that he's getting struck down. Actually, he never finds out. The whole bit is the setup of Sam's character, Mitch Hennessy and Melina. They're partners together and they're shaking this dude down for cash so they don't go run off and tell his, his wife about his extracurriculars because the next time we see them they're back at the hotel or their office like counting money <laughs> right and they're all there i mean well the two of them are there the two of them are there and that's where right they're partnered up and everything that woman one moment though she's where, no prostitute no <laughs> when mitch makes the comment while well, she's still in bed like considering you're i could see you're, you're, you're at you dude you don't I have a lot of every money. damn time oh my gosh look at her face Again, a, a, a staple of Shane Black is is, introdu- is the is introduction of characters that have meaning, and but at the same time he'll fuck with you and introduce characters that have and he'll introduce them in a way that that you think they have meaning, but they really don't. They're kind of coming, they come and go. But this is not one of them. And she, Melina, you don't see but one other time after this, right? Uh, we no, we see her on the phone, right? Yeah, maybe one or two more times. I think we get. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. We get, like the, we, get the, the, we get the scene. I think she's, we see her twice, two more times. Right. Well, yeah, because when they're on the run, he calls her. Yeah. Just because just, just knowing the phone, well, he he doesn't know <laughs> their phone's being tapped, but Charlie does. Oh, Charlie. Who's Charlie? Oh, Charlie, who is who Samantha was, Samantha King was before she ended up on that beach naked seven years earlier. She is the spy. She is the assassin that... It's, that's something, too. I mean, a reference just now to Total Recall. Hey, there's some Total Recall vibes as far as not the sci-fi aspect of it but the dual personalities of the lead sure and how the real personality the real person sets everything up and creates this false personality knowing that i gotta bury this person and hide you otherwise we're dead which is what happens with this movie that's a manchurian candidate shit yep the best take from the best borrow not steal yeah man look if you're gonna steal steal from the best yes damn it <laughs> That's what John Milius says. One of the things too that I, like I said, I already mentioned the score, the Alan Silvestri score, and the score is 
super solid, and as it is with all of Silvestri's work, but it seems so unique to his other stuff. I had to double check it because it didn't sound like his usual stuff. I mean, he does big movies, but usually one of the big movies he does are more sci-fi, you know, more. Yeah, definitely not in this genre. Yeah, it's almost like, I don't mean this as a, as a slight on either one of them, but it's very Michael Kamen in that it's just bigger in a different way. And I, and I think he had a lot of fun with it. Not Hans Zimmer big? <laughs> oh, what's Hans Zimmer big these days? Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, I'm know. sure that I'm sure if, I'm sure if I turn on something, I would I could find one very quickly. It would sound like this. There you go. That's my Hans Zimmer. It's weird hearing Hans Zimmer score where actually there's like more than one note in in four bars. Yes. Oh shit. Through circumstances, our character Sam, Eugene Davis, ends up partnered up with Mitch Hennessy. And now they're both on the run because she's being pursued. They're trying to find out who she is because she doesn't know what the fuck's going on. She's getting these memories coming back to her. She's standing in front of the mirror and not recognizing who she is. Right. She's having flashbacks. She's yeah. cutting her own throat. She's doing all kinds of crazy shit. And that one part, by the way, that one part where she's standing in the mirror and she looks back up and there's blonde Charlie standing there. But we'll eventually know is blonde Charlie. That to me didn't feel so much like Shane. I felt like Rennie to me. I felt more like his his fingerprints. And that's cool. I'm not it's not a slight at right, all. Right, dude. It's straight out of Nightmare on Elm Street four. Four, yeah. And, and that's what I, I thought that was kind of a cool little thing. And that's probably why I right away went, Well, that's not a Shane thing, that's a Rennie thing. And it's clever. It it works well because even now you're going like, wait, what the fuck? What's going on? That's the thing that's fun about going back and watching these movies, especially when I haven't seen in a long time. You don't have that short-term memory of all those trailers and TV ads that you're inundated with. So you forget a lot of imagery and things about the movie until you see them like, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Right. One thing that this movie does really well, I mean, it's got all those classic Shane things, right? It's it's the buddy, it's Murtaugh and Riggs, only this time Riggs is a woman. Yep. Or, Yeah. I guess because yeah, I would assassin. say that, that she, yeah. I would say definitely she's Riggs because yeah. she's kind of the loose cannon fucking killer. But I mean, you know, it's a, it's a trademark through, you know, of Shane's like it's, mm-hmm. it's always buddies, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, nice guys, lethal weapons, uh, except for maybe uh, the only thing. Well, even Ford, uh, what, what not? That's the Rennie Harlan. I'm crossing streams. Last Boy Scout. The uh, Iron Man film. Iron Man 3. <laughs> There's always a sidekick. He was kind of saddled, but he did kind of work his magic and shape that script into more of a Shane Black type script as opposed to a straight Marvel. You know, he made yeah. that partnership work. Yeah. And, and his his little sidekick was actually the precocious kid. Right. As opposed to normally being an adult. But I, what I really found was interesting is when you get the kid, the kid's got to be annoying in, in Last Action Arrow. But this the is kid's the, annoying in this movie. It well, she is, but she's still playing a little girl. I love when Charlie fucking tells her to quit. She's starting to crack and become yeah. Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being a baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good, but she has to. Right, it's very Jekyll and Hyde. Again, I feel like that—that's the Rennie influence. Like, no, no, go bigger. Yeah, <laughs> totally. There's a moment in there where. Charlie throws on ice skates to chase after him and swim across this pond. 
and she's got guns drawn and she's just spraying the car. That yeah, I thought that that to me was such a it, t- it took me right back to Die Hard too with all the snow work that Rennie did. It really because he stays super wide the entire almost the entire time. Yeah, and cliffhanger. Yeah, all exactly right. And so he's like, he's like, he's the snow guy for those nineties and during a period of the, of the nineties. He's like, I'm the snow guy. Seeing that, my brother and I saw this. We were sitting in a theater, and I remember laughing at the absurdity of the ice skating scene. Right. I loved the shit out of it, but yeah. I was like, it is so fucking over the top and ridiculous. And that's one of the things that is this movie's strong point. And that's why I think people love it so much is all of the action set pieces in this movie. They're fantastic, but they are so over the top. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another Rennie Harlan thing is excess. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. Like you see a Rennie Harlan movie, these action set pieces, you, there, he stamps the shit out of him with the Rennie Harlan, with the RH stamp, bang, you know. Oh, yeah. That ice skating thing, man, is one of my most favorite and also one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen in an action movie to this day. And she really skates. That's one thing is, too, is like, you usually see close-ups of nobody skating, but at the end of the scene, she does a hockey stop. Now, let me tell you something. If anybody knows how to skate, you have to be doing it for a while and you have to be pretty damn decent on skates to pull it off and not fucking fall on your ass. Gina Davis skates in this movie and she does. And like you said, that, and that's what sells the whole thing. That's what makes it so much more absurd. absurd. When you make the, when you get those medium shots, I'm like, Oh fuck, that's her skating. Right. It didn't feel like a fake insert shots where you didn't feel like she was skating. You're, you're not like, Oh, that's a stunt person. Cause it's bigger than life and it's right there in front of you. And, the, and I think we talked about this before Gina is super athletic. Oh yeah. League of their own, doing all that baseball stuff, yeah. all those bumps, bruises, everything you see on her, that, that's all earned during shooting. Uh, you know, and again, we're talking about somebody who narrowly missed qualifying for the Olympics as an archer. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's doing this. It's and that pirate movie, man. If we go back Dude, to Cutthroat Island, think about all the shit that she had. She not only yeah. has she had to wear and run, right? Yeah. This movie, even not so much Cutthroat Island. I mean, that was that was definitely a departure from what she'd been doing. But this movie really, and this is the one only time she made a movie like this. She's not really big on repeating herself as far as playing the same kind of role. Now, I know she did three Stuart Little movies. That's not what I'm getting at. That's I, I know that's an easy place to point to, but it's kids. That's kids fair. But for stuff for, for the adults, this is something very special as far as my view of what she's done in, in her filmography. This is something that, that's always going to be the, the role I look at where she played two distinct characters, even though they were the same person. And she went for it, man. She just, by the way, the skating scene, not the only time there's ice involved in the movie. And another really oh, yeah. clever moment too. I know it's coming. All right. I know what they're, what they're, where they're about to go in. That super tiny shot where she looks and in the insert of the sign about thin ice. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Brilliant. It's so fucking subtle. good. You don't think anything of it. Beautiful. It's subtle, but it's not subtle. Right. <laughs> right. Like it kind of made me laugh because I immediately, when I saw it, I, I flashed back to uh guardians <laughs> just yeah. for a moment. <laughs> you don't think anything of it until the moment it happens and her and Mitch are jumping out a window and she's got her Uzis out and she's spraying the ice below so they can crash safely and not break their legs on the ice. Right. It lets you know that Charlie is incredibly observant to her surroundings. And it's the one moment where even before the whole shootout thing that, you know, 
this is the one moment where you realize, all right, man, she is not Samantha Key anymore. She is 100% Charlie now. And she's Charlie Baltimore. She's so fuck. I love the shit out of this movie. And I forgot how much I love it. And I, I was kind of disappointed in myself and kind of mad at myself because I've been depriving myself and not seen it for probably a good 10 years. Oh man, I watch it every Christmas. It's like on my, you know, it's in my little Christmases, Christmas movie. It's in my Christmas rotation again. And I, and I think it's so funny for as much as we talk about Gene Black movies and Christmas tie-ins that I didn't, I, again, I, I said before, when I comment about on Shane Black movies that are at the bottom of the list and it's forgotten, it's because I forget it. I forget that it's there because I always think of it as a Rennie Harlan movie. I don't think about it as a Shane Black movie. And this is also a period of time too where every Shane Black movie started off with an L. Right. You got your Lethal Weapons. You got your Last Action Heroes. You got your Last Boy Scout. You got your Long Kiss Goodnight. He had like five movies in a row that started with an L. And then he had to go backwards and make a movie start with a K. Right. Well, you know, they're very close in the alphabet, man. What is, you know, KL, LK. <laughs> long kiss, kiss, good night. <laughs> the long kiss, kiss, bang, bang, good night. That's it. Well, I guess it's better than the long bang, good night. No, uh, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's another that's, movie. That's the porn version. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the 90s porn version of long kiss, good night. We mentioned Craig Bierko earlier and he. Dude, Bierko is on fire in this movie, dude. Like he owns like every, every time he's on camera, he owns the right. frame, dude. I mean, he's guilty of scene stealing to the hundredth oh. power. Even in the scenes with Gina and with Sam Jackson, when he's on, you're, you're really just kind of looking at him. And what I kind of noticed for the first time yesterday, I had this weird thought. I was like, wow, he's like Ben Affleck's evil twin. <laughs> 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 he does. He looks like Affleck quite a bit in this, and that yeah, that yeah, younger, in this, yeah. of course. I mean, not not in anything else, but yes. On the character side, of, he's like Mr. Joshua, but like a more talkative and more deliberately evil Mr. Joshua, right? And and he's also more wound into the story because he's yeah. also the father of uh, little Caitlin. And dude, that moment, fuck, when she's tied up on on the water wheel. Charlie looks at Tim and just goes, look at her eyes. <laughs> They're your eyes. She's your kid. And it's just like, and he thinks nothing of it. And then he turns to her and he sees it. And then he just goes, fuck. <laughs> I want to say for all of the quotable lines that oh, yeah. Mitch has in this movie, Birko has the best line in the movie yeah. when he says, you're about to have 2.4 kids. Yeah. It's so when they're good. in the church. In the church. <laughs> and dude. the woman's just like, no. The way they snatch her. When he drugs the little girl and throws the angel over his shoulder. Has <laughs> a little <laughs> capsule of, what, I'm just going to eat her or whatever. Just goes, boop. And then she's out. And he's just carrying her out. I'm like, eh. Melody came, sat down on the couch at that point. She'd never seen the movie before. And she goes, what the hell's happening? And I'm like, oh, you know, just some kids snatching in the church. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's the perfect thing because look, dude, it's like you, you would know as a parent, like your kid is probably exhausted after the Christmas concert. Yes. So him walking out with her draped over his shoulder in a little angel costume, like she's just sleeping. Nobody would know the difference. Right. A lesser writer would have made a crack about her. Oh, you know what? You know, kids get tuckered out. There would have been some stupid line. Right. Some executive would have insisted they put in there. No, Shane Black threatens people instead <laughs> you're about to have 2.4 kids whoops so and he takes the knife out yeah, he's got too. the knife out he was just gonna he was just gonna jab one of those kids right in the fucking throat he, <laughs> he spray some christmas red all over the church man it's so fucked up. and if you didn't already have an idea of who this dude was 
Well, there you go, man. If you had any doubts that Craig Birko's character was an evil piece of shit, well, they've been put to bed. I love the, the cute little aspect of it. You know, as things are unraveling, you find out what the main purpose of the whole thing is and this thing called Project Honeymoon. Because I always forget about the Niagara Falls aspect of it. Right. And then when it gets there, I'm like, all right, Operation Honeymoon. Did Charlie or Mitch, one of the two of them kind of go, oh, yeah, that's right. Duh. Of course, it's in Niagara Falls. It, you have that little moment where they, where even the characters on screen are saying the same thing. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. And, and it's sprinkled with, you know, all these fantastic, I think we talked about it earlier, but all those fantastic character actors who pop up. And uh, it's funny because the the big finale, the, uh, the well, there's a couple there's this movie has like three finales, which is fucking fantastic. It's got that return of the King ending. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. But it's, but good. You, you think when Mitch Hennessy fucking is it rocket launched you dude again, mm-hmm. it's a Rennie Harlan thing. That's a throwback to die hard too. Yep. Right. When, when John McClane rejects himself out of the jet, I laugh so hard because they do it so much better in this movie than they did in die hard. Yep. I agree. Uh, I guess that's just because maybe the like, CGI is better now, or this has probably less CGI than they used in Die Hard. Yeah. But like, you think that that's got to be close to the ending, right? Like, you know, Hennessy, right. you know, you can't kill me, motherfucker. And dude, the way that they're playing it, because everybody's in on the joke, like it's so fucking ridiculous. Is what I'm talking about these action set pieces. They're so over the top. Even the characters know they're over the top. Like when he just like, he looks at himself and brushes it and he dances that little bit. You can't kill me, motherfucker. Everybody knows. They're all, you know, everybody's in on it. And it just kills me, man. And like I said, there's like, there, and there's three. You're not, you don't just get treated to one big set piece at the end. They just keep ramping them up. So we get to that final one where now, now you're strapping a kid to a bomb. Right. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. There is... You don't feel this in 96, but here we are 20 years after 9-11. And there's an aspect to this movie that gets revealed in the third act. And they make a reference to the 93 bombing of the World Trade Center. Yes. And that the whole point of this was a fundraiser for CIA. And they're going to create this false terrorist event to get money from the government to start funding stuff. Right. And it's just like, I was laughing at, I was laughing at a joke just before it. And then I just fucking stopped. And I'm like, dude, fuck. I, I was going to mention to you, aren't you shocked that like this movie didn't get put on moratorium? <laughs> like, I really, like suddenly you couldn't, yes. you can't find it or watch it. <laughs> the government is, they've put it away. Like they did the Manchurian candidate. Dude, here's the thing that's fucking weird about it. Okay. The movie came out on October 11th, 96. Almost exactly five years to the day this movie came out, 9-11 happened. Yeah, it's crazy. And for them to, in this movie, specifically reveal or, or discuss the 93 bombing, which everybody's attributed to a, a 9-11 being, all right, yeah, I've, I didn't succeed eight years earlier in here. I'm going to fix that now. The, yeah, it, it lends this... That you get, like I said, you get all this over the topness throughout the whole movie. And then when you ground it into something that's very real to us now, it's like, fuck that. It was one thing mentioning the 93 bombing in 96 when you hear it, you're kind of like going, oh, I see what they're doing there. That that one, but now, now it's like that, that just hits so differently. And, but like, I agree, man, how, how was, 
or or redact that whole portion of the script or, or the movie, you know? Sure, right? Like you're going to see a, hey, there's a whole edited version of the script. Yeah, it's... Why did it go silent right there? <laughs> what happened there? Hey, I could have sworn this movie was two hours and now it's uh, an hour and 59. It's 30. one hour and 50 <laughs> minutes. There's a whole 10 minutes that has been chopped out. It's... um. And like you said, we have so many multiple innings, you kind of could cut around it a little bit if you wanted to. Absolutely. Throw in some uh, looped audio in there to kind of, for some exposition to change the story up a little bit. Because let's be honest here, that happens anyway after test screenings. You know, so what's the difference? Differences All the time. Yep. But yeah, I, that hit really hard too. And this was a, there's a window of time that we were right in the middle of. Even if you didn't mention the the 93 bombing, they're already seeing Islamic terrorism and they're trying to get more funding. They're already talking about all that, which is the lead villain in True Lies just a couple of years before this. It was an Arabic descent. So that you were getting a lot of that back then. And of course, when 9-11, since we already mentioned it came along, all that stopped. <laughs> we, even if we go back to point of no return. Yeah. There, there was that whole thing with uh, where she's sent to assassinate the, you know, uh, Robert Romanus or not Robert, but Richard Romanus. Right. So... Hollywood was setting that up for like years. Yeah. And you know, like I said, the movie, even though you get the super over the top ending, you know, like you said, in multiples where it kind of, it keeps ramping up the ending. You think it's over and it's not. And then you think that's over and then it's not. It It's so well assembled, so well executed, but the stakes feel so much more real now than it did when I was sitting in a theater in 96. Yeah, totally. Because of what it eventually happens in our real life. And, and I would say this this is Harlan's best film by Ooh, far. God, yes. Yes. 100%. I, I find no fault in the movie except, you know, Sands' one performance to, uh, by an actor. I, I would prefer not being in the movie. But, but, but everybody else is so good and it makes him stand out too much. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, exactly. It makes his, it makes his blandness all that more yeah. <laughs> offensive when you're, when you're watching it. Yeah, I shouldn't dump on the idea so much as that the fact that everybody else is so, everybody else excels and, and it just makes you sad. Like it makes his vanilla stand out too much. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I love this movie. 100%. A to Z, this movie is so fucking fun. And there's nothing about it that I would change. Even the aspect that I think I just mentioned, the realness of that ending now or, or the purpose of why they're, these CIA agents are doing what they're doing, it feels real to me because we've had enough uh, congressional hearings to understand that, ah, yeah, this feels pretty real to me, man. <laughs> it's more grounded in reality than you realize and even Shane did when he wrote the damn thing. Yeah, right. It's right there. And it is such a weird thing, like watching it, you know, seeing it five years before, I would have never believed something like that. And like now it's like, well, of course, I mean, <laughs> it's right there. So this is probably, I'm so glad that Mario put this on the list because yeah. I've been wanting to talk about this movie for a long time. Yeah. This movie is a winner all the way around performance wise, technical. I mean, everything about this movie is, is fucking amazing. It's a, it, again, I feel like it's a criminally underseen movie. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that people don't talk about this movie, but I would say, I would say it's a select group of people who will love this movie. You know, the masses, unfortunately, 
missed out on this movie. I don't know why this movie didn't uh, blow up like it should have. I mean, it made 90 million worldwide, 35 here, probably. When was the movie released? What was, what, what, what was the, what was in, what was in vogue at the moment? Maybe this movie came two years too late or five years too early. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure which it is. You know, there, there's no reason I can, when I watch this movie, that this movie didn't become, you know, like a hundred million dollar grossing fantastic movie that everybody talks about, you know, again, you and I talk about it, Mario, you know, people who are in the know, I know that this movie does get a lot of love, but it's not mainstream love. And again, I, I don't understand how this movie didn't blow up at the time, but you know, again, timing is everything. So 100% timing is everything, you know, maybe instead of doing Angie or speechless that this happens, as opposed to those movies, because right, I think she came back, Gina came back swinging for the fences with Cutthroat Island, and that movie should have been bigger. Matthew Modine was like, he was becoming this guy that people were, he was on the rise. I mean, we knew who he was, and he had been in a couple of really good movies. At this point, you know, he had, uh, Married to the Mob. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, he'd been in Wind, Married to the Mob, Pacific Heights yeah. a couple of years before this. The two of them being paired in Cutthroat Island Again, I mentioned earlier, it's a super ambitious movie. I think people, maybe nobody saw it because the the TV ads made it look cheeky, not in the way that drew, drew people to go see Pirates when it came out four or five years later. Sure. But I think maybe this came, came along, like nobody could visualize Gina Davis playing this badass. And in watching the TV ad again, after watching the movie, after not seeing it for a while, uh, yeah, I can see it because it's all Charlie stuff. It's all the action stuff, right? And it doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah. For somebody that says, wait, that's the Jaina Davis from A League of Their Own? I don't know. And even her character in Hero isn't really... Or maybe people just were at this point were, were oversaturated with Pulp Fiction knockoffs and it got lumped in with that. You know what I mean? I, I don't know why. Maybe because they see Sam. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they see Sam and I mean, you know, this movie, Kiss of Death, also with Sam, Nick Cage, you know. Crusoe, yeah. Or or just there was a glut of, you know, these type of movies. And this one just kind of people are like, oh, I've already, uh, you know, I just saw Suicide Kings or whatever, you know. And they just kind of, I don't know why, but this movie is better than all those movies. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. It definitely deserves a second chance. So, I mean, if you're, if you're listening, you haven't seen it, man, uh, you're in for a treat. I know I say this all the time, check it out. If you don't like it, email me (laughs) and I'll tell you why you should. But I don't think, I think if you watch this, you're going to like it. If you're listening to this, us talk about it, then you're already halfway there. You should see it. As of April 10th, when we're recording this, it's on HBO Max. But here's the thing. I really don't think you're going to be disappointed if you spend the $7.99 to buy the Blu-ray. But there is no Blu-ray, though. The Blu-ray is a re- that Blu-ray is like a region two. Is it? I it only exists on DVD. It's sadly, I, I ended up, I have the DVD, but I bought, I just bought the digital copy because I, I was looking. There's not a proper Blu-ray. They're all like, you know, region two or region four. Well, yeah. it's on it's on one of those Blu-rays with two other movies. Yeah, it's still the full thing. It it, it deserves like a Shout Factory treatment. Oh no, I don't disagree with that. But it's on HBO Max now, and if you haven't seen it, oh, man, you're gonna love this movie. You're going to love it. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. I'm done. Walking away. Pencils yeah. down. <laughs>
Long Kiss Goodnight, penned by Shane Black, directed by Rennie Harwin, starring Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson, and a cacophony and a supporting of cast supporting to die cast. For. Oh my gosh, you're gonna love this movie. Period. Thank you, Mario, for for reminding us and actually maybe forcing our hands to do it now instead of later. Right. <laughs> Definitely check it out. A rental, or even though the the buying the digital is like what is only like seven or eight bucks. Ten bucks. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Totally worth it. And if you love Gina Davis and you haven't seen this movie, you're gonna want this and you're gonna love it. You're gonna. I'm gonna. If you want to pair this movie with something, watch this movie first, then watch Atomic Blonde. You'll yeah. see kind of where Atomic Blonde came from. One hundred. I would even triple bill this with Point Out Return. Yeah. Start with Point Out Return. Go to Long Kiss Goodnight and end it with Atomic Blonde. There's your night. There's your. There's your triple cinematic feature. void. Just take your pee breaks, man. <laughs> yeah. So. If you want to follow us on Letterboxd, you can follow Corey at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support us on Patreon, and their patrons are the ones that are supporting the show, having a good time. And this is their month. April is officially going forward. This is Listener Choice Month from Patreon supporters. And again, thank you, Mario. This is all you. Put it right in front of us. If you want to support us on Patreon, that's patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Letterboxd under Tom Cody. That's Tom Cody at Letterboxd. Cody.